I don't know if you guys noticed, but the worship team, we color-coded today. Um, so we didn't plan it. It's a brand new shirt. Uh, we, we just, we really did, we went all out for you guys because we really care about you. And we want you to be properly, um, visually engaged as we, as we worship together. Uh, that was a fun little surprise this morning. But on a serious note, <laughs> I want to share a story with you that's a weird story in the Bible. It's one of those stories that when we're done with it today, you're not going to have any more answers or understanding of this story than you do right now. Because I don't understand it. I don't know how to make sense of it. I'm guessing that no one here has some you know, forgotten, lost insight from 3,000 years ago that will help us understand it. It's just a weird story. I'm not going to read it right out, but it's in 1 Kings chapter 20. So if you want to follow along a little bit, you can. But in 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, what's going on is um, basically this is after the rule of King David, after the rule of King Solomon, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel were separated. So the northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And Judah was basically where the, the favored sons of David continued to reign. And in the north in Israel, uh, it was almost like this different set of kings. And there was a lot of trouble going on. And, and over time, uh, both of these kingdoms were overcome by enemies. But the northern kingdom was overcome first. And what we're going to read about and see is this story of Ben-Hadad, who's the king of Aram, who's going to essentially force his way against the king of Israel, Ahab. And so it says the king of Aram, this is 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, mustered his entire army. And this would have been probably, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 soldiers, okay? And he was accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. These kings most likely were other kingdoms that he had conquered. And you have to understand, we think of kings and big nations today. These would have been little nation states. So each city would have had its own king. And he's conquered 32 of these major cities. Uh, again, ancient world, a city might have had 15,000 people in it. You know, that would be a big city, uh, which would be dwarfed by the town of Dedham. But, you know, that's kind of how you got to think about this. And so he sent messengers to the city, to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, this is what Ben-Hadad says, your silver and your gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered, just as you say, the Lord my king, I and all I have are yours. So the king of Israel, Ahab, is so scared of Ben-Hadad that he basically agrees to give him all of his gold, all of his silver, his best wives, I don't know how that decision was made, and his best children, I also don't know how that decision was made, but he sends what he has. He says, all I have is yours. Now, Ben-Hadad gets greedy, and he says, uh, actually, now that I've gotten the best of what you have, I'm coming back for everything you have. And the elders of Israel gather together, and they say, look, you tell that guy, no way. <laughs> he says, don't listen to him, verse 8, or agree to his demands. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messengers, tell my lord the king, your servant will do all you demanded the first time, but this demand I cannot meet. And so Ben-Hadad says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each one of my men a handful. He says, I'm going to completely destroy you. So he's gathering all his men. They're sending these messages back and forth. Finally, it says that the king Ben-Hadad is drinking with his officers. The final message comes, and he says, all right, it's time to fight. But... Ahab is given a word from the Lord, and he says, I'm going to give you, Ahab, this vast army of Aram. Ben-Hadad's army will be yours, and you're going to be the one to initiate the fight. So they leave the city, they go out to the campground, and they utterly rout Ben-Hadad and his, what was it, 32 kings and their army of tens of thousands with only 7,000 men. Now what happens? Ben-Hadad gets a message from one of his prophets. And the prophet says, you know, the problem, Ben-Hadad, the problem, my lord, the problem, king, is that you were fighting in the hill country. And the God of Israel is a God of the hills. You need to fight on the plains because they don't have a God of the plains, and we do. 
So if we muster an army again and go back next season, next spring, then we can rout that little city-state and we can take over everything they have and we can humiliate them for what they've done to us. Well, God heard this because God hears everything. (laughs) And God tells Ahab, look, it's really kind of funny. They think I can't fight on the plains. They think I can only fight on the hills. So let's go show them. So he, the king Ben-Hadad musters his tens of thousands. It says that, um, I lost the number here, but he's got, he's got tens of thousands of men. They go to the plains, and Ahab comes out with his 7,000 men. And what happens? The Israelites win. They rout the army. They kill you know, 40,000 at a time. 100,000, oh, 100,000 casualties on the first day and another 27,000 casualties in the city that they fled to. So over 130,000 people are involved in this. 7,000 men rout them. Well, Ben-Hadad pleads for for peace. He pleads for grace. He says, "Uh, I will be a brother to you. I will will be your servant. I will will never bother you again. And Ahab says, okay, then you're a brother to me. Now, here's what happens next. Here's the weirdest part of the story. So Ahab makes a treaty with Ben-Hadad and sets him free. Verse 35, 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 35. By the word of the Lord, one of the company of the prophets said to his companion, strike me with your weapon. All right, so I want you to imagine this. Sonia comes up to you next week. She says, I'm a prophet of the Lord. You need to hit me over the head as hard as you can with this pipe, okay? God told you to. What do you do? Do you do it? No, you don't. Sonia's like, no, don't do it. (laughs) Neither did this guy. He refused. So the prophet said, because you have not obeyed the Lord, as soon as you leave me, a lion will kill you. Guess what happens when he leaves? A lion kills him. I imagine word got around because then he asked someone else, (laughs) strike me, please. So the man struck him and wounded him. He learned the lesson that the first one didn't learn. And then the prophet went and stood by the road waiting for the king. He disguised himself with headbands down over his eyes. And as the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, your servant went into the thick of battle. And someone came to me with a captive and said, guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his life or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. That is your sentence, the king of Israel said, Ahab. You have pronounced it yourself. Then the prophet quickly removed the headband from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets, and he said to the king, This is what the Lord says. You have set a man free I had determined should die. Therefore it is your life for his, your people for his people. Sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. So here's the story. A prophet of God tells another prophet, one of his companions, strike me with a blow that makes it look like I've been in battle. So it's not just, you know, slap me, punch me. No, I have to be bleeding and it has to look serious. Because God told me to go lie to the king. And I'm supposed to deceive him and trick him so that God's judgment can be pronounced on him for not murdering somebody. This story is just meant to show you that life is complicated. And life is complicated, which is why we need discernment in the age of fake news. Doesn't this sound like fake news? God told me that you're supposed to strike me with a blow so that I can go lie to the king and trick him so that I can condemn him for not murdering somebody. That sounds like fake news, (laughs) but that wasn't. But you know what? Fake news is a real thing. It's a real thing, and, and we need to be a people of discernment. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by fake news because this is a phrase that's become very popular, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it's actually pretty old. I was, I was, I'm a curious kind of person, so I was looking up, how old is this phrase fake news? It's actually from the 1840s is the earliest record, written record of fake news. But it has skyrocketed in use in the last 
three, four years. And what I don't mean by fake news is I'm not talking about one political party or one political candidate or one perspective's ideas about what's fake and what's not. So I'm not talking about that. I'm actually really not talking about politics today at all, although it has a huge impact for politics. I also don't mean any specific news source. You know, like there have been accusations, that news source is fake news. That news source is fake news. I'm not really talking about that either. Um, My hunch is that if we did a really fair assessment, there are false things being said by every news agency at some point, and there are true things being said by every news agency at some point. And so we have to discern not just the, the... the network or the candidate or the party. We have to discern the content every single time. So what do I mean by fake news? Well, I'm going to talk about basically four different types of things that we face today that it's actually really difficult for us um, sometimes to judge whether it's fake news or not. So the first kind of fake news that I want to talk about is It's really like a headline that if you just took the headline, it would make you believe one thing. Or if you just took the the short video clip, it would make you think one thing. But then if you read the whole piece, it would make you believe something else. So I tried to choose something that hopefully isn't too controversial for us, especially those of you who are here, because you are here. But let me read some of these uh, headlines to you that I picked up just last month Uh, from the New York Times. Churches emerge as a major source of coronavirus cases. Okay, that's the headline. Here's another one. This is from uh, a healthcare website. Stairway to heaven, reopening churches and coronavirus. Basically, you're going to die if you go to church because of coronavirus. Here's another one, and I I forgot the source on this one, but I have. Churches could be the deadliest places in the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Stairway to Heaven, that article, was about two paragraphs or three paragraphs long, and it mentioned a choir rehearsal that took place before anyone was social distancing or wearing masks because we didn't yet know it was a problem. 60 people were in the rehearsal, 42 people got sick, two people died. It's tragic, it's sad, right? But that was before anyone was doing anything. COVID, churches could be the deadliest places in the COVID-19 pandemic, There was no supporting evidence in the article whatsoever. No data, none. It was just, hey, singing spreads coronavirus, so churches could be the deadliest places for coronavirus. And then the one from uh, the New York Times is my favorite. Churches emerge as major source, major source of coronavirus cases. In the article, they mentioned that at the time there were 3.5 million coronavirus cases in the U.S., and 650 have been traced to churches. Now, I want to be really clear. Those 650 cases are sad, and they should be looked at, and we should be careful. So this is not like deny coronavirus. I'm not calling it a spamdemic. I'm not, I'm not talking about you shouldn't wear masks, even though I know I'm not wearing one right now. The point is, the data in the article presents a very different picture from the headline. Right? I don't know of anyone who would call 650 out of 3.5 million major. I would also suggest this. Whoever wrote that article did not write the headline. The headline was written as clickbait on the New York Times. They just want you to click because they want advertising dollars. So if you don't go past the headline, you do not get the true story. The same with, same with nightly news. How much of the Republican or Democratic National Convention did you see on the news this week? A minute and a half total between all your nights of watching the news? Of actual video of someone talking. Usually it was someone talking about someone talking. So TV, I'm just going to put this out there. This is like my early what to do kind of suggestion. Television news is inherently problematic because it will never give you the whole story because it can't because nobody would watch and they need ratings, right? 
Television news is first entertainment and second news. So just throwing that out there. This is a type of fake news where you just get part of the story, you don't get the whole story. I'm going to be giving examples from both sides of the political spectrum, but the one that stands out to me now is when Republicans were saying that Joe Biden didn't know what race he was running for because he said, hi, I'm Joe Biden and I'm running for U.S. Senate. Do you remember that? Anyone? They were like, this guy doesn't even know where he is. I went and watched the clip, and Joe Biden said, when I was running for Senate, I would go door to door and say, hi, my name is Joe Biden, and I'm running for Senate. Totally different message. Totally different. And it happens on all sides, and not just the, the candidates. It happens by the news agencies all the time. All the time. You know? So, you know, when, when buildings are burning, but it's only a peaceful protest. You see? And so I'm not saying that there's no peaceful protest, but when you, think it's, when you say it's only a peaceful protest, but buildings are burning, that's just not true. When people are getting hurt, it's not true. You need the bigger picture. So that's the first thing, is that we need to be willing to go beyond sound bites. We need to be willing to go beyond headlines. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit in a moment about why this is so important. Right now, I'm just kind of laying out what's happening, what's the kind of things that we're seeing. But I will say this. Habits matter. If you're willing to accept sound bites and headlines with the news, what's it going to be like when you read a scripture passage out of context and you think it means one thing, but it means something totally different? One silly example is the Bible says there is no God. But if you look at the context, it says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. But the Bible says there's no God. Right? So you could take that and run with it. And look, Christians run with Bible verses taken out of context all the time. I thought if anyone would actually buy it, it would take me about a day to write a book on, you know, 50 different passages that Christians take out of context all the time. And those are only the ones that I know about because I'm taking some out of context, I'm sure, at some point in time. We all do this. So habits matter with the news, with the scripture, with life, all right? There's another kind of fake news that we need to be careful of. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but the word up there says truth, but it's made up of a bunch of little words that says lies. And sometimes we think the big picture looks like the truth, but it's, it's supported by hundreds of lies, you know, just outright lies, sometimes by conspiracy theories. You guys have heard a lot about conspiracy theories lately in the news. A conspiracy theory is there's a difference between conspiracies, which are real. There are conspiracies. Nixon lost his presidential office because of a conspiracy. And then there's conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are claims that cannot be proven false. They can't be proven false, no matter what you do. So any proof against the theory gets twisted into a proof of the theory. Right? Oh, the government's denying that aliens landed in Roswell? Of course they would deny that aliens landed in Roswell because they don't want you to know aliens landed in Roswell. So anytime they give proof of it, it's them, it's uh, thou dost protest too much, government. There really are aliens. Right? It's that kind of thing. You didn't see flying saucers last night? Well, of course you didn't see them because if you saw them, then they would be exposed and the aliens won't let that happen. So it's proof that they're there by the fact that you didn't see them. These are just twisting lies. You know, you can't be, they can't be proven false. This is a type of fake news. And this happens, again, all sides of the political spectrum. It happens in, in all, side, all fields. <laughs> you know, we, we live in a time where there's so much access to information with no filters at all that people can get these crazy lies to you whenever they want. And you're seeing them. You're seeing them all the time. You know, I've noticed on Facebook, uh, which is the social media site that I use the most, that some of my Facebook friends who are believers in Jesus Christ post things every single day that are in support of a political candidate. Every single day, multiple things. And I had to unfollow some of these people. I didn't unfriend them, but I just unfollowed them because I didn't want to see it. But I noticed that if I would check on the facts of what they were saying... It's usually a meme because it's easier, right? It doesn't take any effort to repost a meme. 
but I would check the facts of the claims in the meme and they would be false. And I would write on this person's page, this is demonstrably false. Here's the evidence. And you know what they would do? Nothing. They wouldn't take it down. They wouldn't say, oh, I'm sorry. They would just post another one and another one and another one. And you could spend your whole life fact-checking these posts, but almost all of them were just outright lies. This matters. This matters. You know, uh, in, in Paul's day, he would go to these churches and preach the gospel, and people would come to Christ, and he'd establish churches. And then he'd move on. And he would be in contact with them by letter, but he would also hear from them by letter. And so when Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, and the Thessalonica church, he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, you know, Jesus returning from heaven and coming back to earth, and our being gathered to him, you know, the, the saints being gathered with Jesus in the end times. We ask you, brothers and sisters, do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth, or by letter. So someone is literally forging letters in Paul's name, telling the Thessalonians that Jesus has already returned and the true believers have already been taken up into heaven. And they're freaking out. You know, this is, a, this is not a new problem. Right? He says, don't be alarmed. And don't be alarmed when they assert that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. So what's Paul's admonition? It's, hey, be discerning. Don't believe the lies. It would be so easy to just uh, fall into the lies that you've been told. There's another type of fake news, and this one I'm just calling Uh, bias or slant and I would say an intentional bias or slant from a particular agenda meant to mislead you and the thing is is that we are designed by God right this is part of our design to be trusting people okay we operate on the basis that most people are not lying to us we're also designed by God not to be trying to figure out everything all the time so what we do is once we get an idea of how something works, we tend to only see the evidence that supports what we already believe, okay? So you've, you've seen this uh, before in individuals, maybe in yourself you've seen it. If you've seen it in yourself, that just means you're self-aware, not that your problem is worse than anyone else's because we all do this, okay? But there's information here that supports your belief, and there's information here that doesn't support your belief, So you reject this information and accept this information, and it just confirms what you already believed, right? That's called confirmation bias. We all have it. There's lots of other biases. So if you already know who you're going to vote for, sociologists have proven this with different types of research. If you already know who you're going to vote for, you're more likely to reject information that would either disparage that person or put the opponent in a good light. If you don't know who you're going to vote for, you're more likely to accept all the information. It's just an interesting thing. And it basically, it comes down to this. You've attached yourself to a tribe, and you're going to work towards the benefit of that tribe. And that's a God-designed thing because we need that to survive, right? The patriotism is that same kind of thing, and it's what can muster, you know, 7,000 Israelites to go to battle against 130,000 Arameans because of love of their country, because of connection of their tribe, because the idea that they're going to do anything to protect their own. But when you're trying to discern truth, you need to be aware of that tendency because it can lead you astray. It's kind of like that thing, I can call my brother an idiot, but if you call him an idiot, we're going to have words, and those words are going to look like my fists, right? But what if your brother isn't? No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes things are true, even if you don't like them. And it's no good getting into fights, defending something that's not true. But we do it all the time. It's that confirmation bias. 
And then there's this whole list of logical fallacies. And I know you're not going to be able to see them. There's too many. <laughs> but the straw man fallacy, the slippery slope fallacy, ad hominem fallacy, false cause. Some of these have Latin names. The two coke fallacy, appeal to emotions. Uh, the fallacy fallacy, which is my favorite, which is to say, uh, Paul, your, cl- your argument has a fallacy in it. Therefore, it must not, your claim must not be true. But Paul's argument could have all sorts of bad evidence, but it could still be true. You know, the fallacy, fallacy. So like all these ways that people either unintentionally or intentionally are giving you false information. Does this feel a little despairing? Do you ever get anxious about knowing who to believe and what to believe? We were having a conversation recently and, you know, like, again, this is not to make a point about what anyone should do or anything, but we were just saying... It'll be great if there's a vaccine for coronavirus, but we're a little concerned that they're speeding it through. So how will we know if it's safe? Because here's one thing I know. There will be people from all different walks of life, from all different perspectives, who are going to lie to us about that vaccine in every possible direction, right? There's going to be people who say, this vaccine will kill you. There will be people who will say that. And then there'll be people who say, if you take this vaccine, you're safe from coronavirus. But we don't, how do we know? How do they know? How do we know to trust them or not? This is a problem, right? And as Christians, we have, we have a certain type of susceptibility that other people don't have. So, there was a guy named uh, Mike Hughes. Did any of you read about Mike Hughes? He built a rocket to fly up into the atmosphere. And he ended up dying in that rocket. And at different points in times, uh, he said, I'm going to go up there into the lower atmosphere and I'm going to be able to look at the earth and then I'll be able to tell whether it's flat or not as opposed to a globe whether it's a circle, a disc. Now, I don't know if anyone in here is a flat earther, but um, I'll be honest, I find it interesting that flat eartherism is a thing. I find it interesting. So there are people who believe that every photograph from space is a hoax, that NASA was built to keep us from the truth that the world is not round like a globe, that it's round like a coin. And that there's a global conspiracy to keep that truth from us because if we found out the truth, then somehow these people would all lose their power. So there's a huge international global conspiracy to try to convince us that the world is not a globe, but it's a disk. So I don't know what to do with that, but to say this. 75% of flat earthers are religious most of them Christian. Okay? Why is that? Now, most Christians aren't flat earthers, but most flat earthers are Christians. Why is that? Well, I I think there's a couple of things going on. Um, I think there's some false ideas that we have about our own faith a lot of times. One of them is this. Faith means trusting without evidence. Have you heard that before? And sometimes people even use scripture. For example, Hebrews 1, Hebrews 11:1 1 says, faith is the evidence of things unseen. So I say, look, faith is believing something that's unseen. And what they mean is without evidence. But that's not what that verse says at all. It says that faith is the evidence <laughs> of things that you can't see. But it doesn't mean that that faith, therefore, has no evidence. So, for example, can you prove there is a God? Can you prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt? That everyone would believe it? No. But can you give evidence for a God? Right. Evidence number one. Exhibit A. We're here. (laughs) There is something called existence that came from somewhere. Scientists have actually proven that the universe is not eternal. 
So it started. So something had to start it. And you can't have nothing start something. Right? Evidence one. Evidence two. Your lives are not the lives that you had before you knew the Lord. That matters. That's evidence. It's not proof, but it's evidence. Do you know that there's more evidence than Jesus lived than there is that Napoleon lived? And did the things he said he did more than Napoleon? More evidence, more physical evidence of the life of Christ than the life of Napoleon. Did you know that you can't even prove that George Washington ever existed? There goes Hamilton. It's a good musical, but without George Washington, what is it? You know, faith does have evidence. This book right here that I have in my hands has been attacked in every possible way for over 3,000 years. And it's still the most popular book in the world for a reason. It has withstood the attacks. That's evidence. Tons of it. Every time I read about an archaeological dig in Israel, it's about something that confirms what's in the Bible. There has never been an archaeological discovery that has disproved anything in this book. And, and there have been many people who said, there's no evidence of King David existing. And then construction project after construction project after construction project in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem discovered evidence of David's existence, including coins minted by David's uh, kingship. We have evidence. So that's the first thing. A lot of people think faith means trusting without evidence. It does not. And part of the problem has been the church because teenagers or anyone questioning says, hey, how can this about the Bible be true? And someone told them, just believe it. Just believe it. They didn't take the time or they didn't know how to defend their own beliefs. So they told these folks, just believe it. And that answer is not satisfying for a lot of people. There's evidence for everything we believe. Can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I can't prove a lot of things. I can't prove to you, I can't prove to you what I had for dinner last night without getting some medical equipment out. Does that make sense? I have more evidence for God and the Bible than I have for what I ate for dinner last night short of medical equipment. Here's the second problem that I think a lot of Christians and people of faith have is that we've believed the lie that faith and science oppose one another. We really do think that faith and Christianity is an enemy of science and that science is an enemy of Christianity, and it's not. I mentioned that scientists have proven that the world is not eternal. It began. Now, they have a whole theory about how that happened that I may not agree with, but I accept the science. Right? The science is just a collection of facts. And then these theories are opinions based on how to interpret those facts. But science itself is not a problem. God created the world. God created science. The first scientists were Christians. Did you know that? The people who created the scientific method were Christians. Why is it that Christians created science? Because Christians believe that God created an ordered universe and other people thought the gods created a chaotic universe. So what's the point of science in a chaotic universe? But in an ordered universe, science makes sense. Uh, in, in the Quran, it literally mentions that, you know, if you drop something, you cannot be certain that it will fall because Allah may not choose to have it fall. So you can never know for certain that it won't fall. So don't build a plane. But if you believe that God created in the order you know, he created order into creation. He put it there on purpose. Then build your plane and let it fly. You see? Science is not the enemy of faith. It will, the facts of science, I believe, will always support our faith. There'll be tensions. There'll be difficulties. There'll be areas we don't understand. But that doesn't mean that we're opposed. So, a flat earther, we've got the science. We've got the science of this. And the science was figured out thousands of years ago. You know, we sometimes think that everyone in Christopher Columbus's day thought the earth was flat. That's not true. Most people didn't. Christopher Columbus wasn't afraid of falling off the edge of the world. He just thought there was nothing between India and Europe 
He thought the earth was a globe, but that it was smaller. He miscalculated. But they knew. So, as Christians, we can be particularly susceptible to these fake news items. So the question that you might be asking is, who cares? So what? So I get some fake news. Hey, maybe I spread some fake news. What's the big deal? Well, I think there's two reasons that we should really care about both receiving and I I would especially say about spreading because it's spread by Christians all the time. All the time. Often unintentionally. I hope usually unintentionally. But all the time. So I think there's two reasons that we have to care. Now, I don't know if you can see that passport, but it says, passport, the kingdom of God. What's your nationality, church? Where's your citizenship, church? You know, the United States has a law, with a few exceptions, that if you are a citizen of the United States, you cannot be a citizen of another country. You understand that? And why that would be? They don't want you to have a divided loyalty. But the reality is, from, I'm going to speak for myself, I would give up my U.S. passport in a second if they made me choose between my kingdom citizenship and my U.S. citizenship. If and when you pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, you better know in your heart that you're saying, unless, unless my higher allegiance calls me. And I would say, and I'm not suggesting that you don't, but if someone chose not to pledge allegiance to the flag because they were a Christian, I would completely understand. Completely understand. I can do it because I know in my heart that it's unless, right? Unless. Because I pledge allegiance and not to the Christian flag. And I don't pledge allegiance to the Bible. I know Christians do that. I'm not saying it's horrible. I'm just saying I don't do that. I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I pledge allegiance to. I pledge allegiance to people, not to ideas. That's our first allegiance. So here's the thing. If you're a citizen of heaven, then your actions are showing people what citizens of heaven do. Have you ever heard someone say, she doesn't look like a Rachel? You ever heard that before? He doesn't look like a Tom. It's like, well, he is Tom, so by definition, that's what Tom... She is, by definition, what Rachels look like because she's Rachel. Whatever you do is going to be for people the definition of what citizens of the kingdom of heaven look like because you're a, king, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the problem here? So what happens when your kingdom citizenship comes in conflict with your earthly citizenship? And I would add to your political desires, maybe your political affiliation, the kingdom of God will come in conflict with every single person's political agenda. And it will come in conflict, conflict with every imaginable political party. There will never be a political party. Even if we have founded a Christian political party, which some countries have done, the Christian Democrats or the Christian, you know, it will still come in conflict with the kingdom of God. So you have to let it be submitted to this other citizenship this other value because you're part of a story that's bigger than who wins the next election and you're part of a story that's bigger than what shape the earth is and you're part of a story that's bigger than the coronavirus and you're part of a story that's bigger than any controversy that you could possibly get embroiled in on this planet other than whether the gospel is true and Jesus is Lord do you see that? So how you respond and react and interact on those topics affect how people will interact with you on your primary topic. Have you ever heard the phrase, pick your battles? If you really want to win this battle, 
don't lose all your capital on this little battle. Okay? Let's be honest. Who wins the election in November is virtually irrelevant compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And honestly, if we're being really honest and if we're reading the scripture accurately and we did a whole series on strength and weakness and power and weakness and a whole thing on humility, and a, you know, if the candidate that you hate the most wins and destroys everything you love about this country, you'll still have the gospel and that will still be more important. And it might, miracle of miracles, be good for the gospel for that to happen. I don't want it to happen. For myself, I don't want it to happen for my children. But that might be better for the gospel. And only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. So there's a credibility issue. If you present lies to people regularly, then your credibility is shot. Let me go a little further. If you present things to people that they think are lies all the time, your credibility is shot. Take that in for a moment. This is like Paul saying, of course it's fine to eat meat, but I'm not going to eat meat if it causes someone to stumble. Of course it's fine to support your political candidate, but if you do it in a way that causes people to stumble, it's not all right anymore. Even if it's not wrong, it may not be right. Man, this is tough. This, and this is why the title is Discernment in the Age of Fake News. Discernment. So, you know, um, the thing is, oh, I, I forgot to talk about the heart. The second reason why this matters. Your heart will be affected by this. Man, I have seen so much anxiety, so much bitterness, so much conflict. Um, I've seen Christians tearing down other Christians over these agendas and topics and con- you know, confusions and disagreements. I've seen people get depressed. Um, you know, I think Sonia shared a few number of weeks back about she was listening to someone talk about the coronavirus called it the spamdemic and this is a masquerade and like all this inflammatory language and um, it would just make her sad to the point of being in tears over how not just what she was saying but then in the comment section how believers this is a believer how believers were interacting with one another and often what would happen is someone would respectfully say you know, I have three relatives who died of coronavirus. It's not fake. And get jumped on and attacked by other believers. You know, this is wrong. It's wrong. We were watching the other week when Lorenzo was preaching, and he said, look, if you've lost a relationship with your sibling over a presidential election, you know, two men who couldn't give a a second thought for you in reality, versus someone you grew up with and is a member of your family, that's wrong. I was so glad he said that. It's wrong. Your heart will break because lies always lead to this type of breaking, whatever the kind they are. You know, the scripture says the truth will set you free. Lies put you in bondage. And not just intentional lies. If you believe lies all the time, you'll be in bondage. In Philippians 3, 18 through 20, (coughs) Paul tells the Philippian church, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now he's talking specifically about the gospel, but there's there's a reality here that we can glean for for our moment. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. In the ancient world, glory and shame meant a little different from what we mean today. Shame is when you put your trust in something and it fails you, and glory is when you put your trust in something and it supports you. 
So they've put their trust in the thing that will fail them. They've put their glory in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. He says, you've got these people in the world who are so focused on earthly things, but our citizenship's in heaven. Now, it doesn't mean that you become so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Right? You've heard that phrase, like, oh, you're so focused on heaven that you do nothing for the earth, for this life. It should be the opposite for Christians. The more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly-minded we'll be, but in the proper way. It will be properly situated. We'll have the right perspective. You know, Paul thought about heaven so much that he wanted to die and go there, but he said, but he was the most active in helping unbelievers and believers alike to grow in their relationship with Christ. But he says this, look, like there's people who are going to come with this different perspective, but you have to have a different attitude because of your citizenship. And then John and then Paul again in Thessalonian church, he's telling people you've got to test the spirits and test the prophets. You can't just accept whatever comes. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So testing the spirits and testing the prophets are the same thing. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And then in Deuteronomy, it says, If a prophet appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, so this is, it happened. They were right. And the prophet says, Let us follow other gods and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you will love him with all your heart and all your soul. And the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Serve him and hold fast to him. So here's a little litmus test for you. If what you're hearing makes you angry at other people, even if it's true, it's not from the Lord. If it gives you bitterness towards another political party, even if it's true, it's not from the Lord. If what you hear makes you anxious all the time, even if it's true, it's not from the Lord. But usually those things really aren't ultimately true. I would say always they're not ultimately true. It's enough little lies in there, but it looks like the truth. But there's enough little lies in there that undermines it. (coughs) Pardon me. Because the Bible tells us, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So you don't want bitterness in here. You don't want deceit in here. You don't want anger in here. You don't want anxiety in here. Undue fear should not be in here. Right? If you watch a political ad and it makes you angry at the person you're not voting for, that's not good. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Keep your mouth free of perversity. (laughs) No fake news, people. (laughs) Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is a responsibility we have, but it's also an opportunity that we have. So consider this. I want you to think about someone that you have in your life right now and that you want them to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that you want them to be freed from the bondage they're in, that you want them to to walk in the freedom that you found in Jesus Christ. Do you have someone in mind? Now, I want you to imagine how hard it's going to be to convince them of that when other things that you post or say or whatever... You, you, they're either not true or you have no idea if they're really true. You're just repeating something you've heard without checking on it. Or it's coming from an agenda or perspective, a bias that's not fair. You know, if you write an academic paper and you want it to be accepted, then you have to present the other opposing view in a way that your opponent would agree with you. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to present their view in a way that they would agree, that's what I believe. 
that's not going on at all in our world today. Oh, they believe this. And then you look it up and they don't. Oh, they believe that. They're trying to do this. You look it up, they're not. They haven't. And it's happening all the time. So then what do we do? Okay, so we've looked at what's the problem, what's fake news, these four types of fake news. Why is it a problem? It affects our witness. It affects our heart. That person that you care about, it's going to be harder for them to receive the gospel because they don't believe anything else you're saying. So then what do we do? Well, here's five ideas. Five ideas that in concert will help you to discern the truth, to know what's real and what's not. And at this point, I'm actually more concerned about rejecting things that aren't true, (laughs) you know, that come your way. So number one, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. You know, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs 9. And James 1 said, anyone who's lacked wisdom, pray for it, and God will give you wisdom. But don't be wishy-washy about it. You'll be blown about by all the winds and waves that come your way. Does that sound like our reality today? We're all blown about by all these things coming our way, and we, no, no uh, consistency in us even. But seek the Lord. Seek his wisdom. Listen to the Lord. Ask him questions and let him speak to you. Look at his word. This is true. You don't have to take my word for it, but it is true. Look, discern, discover, test the evidence. Come to your own conclusions. And then trust, and then read it and trust it. You know? If we don't have the Lord first, and I think when the proverb says, Guard your heart above all things and, you know, keep a straight path and keep your eyes forward. It reminds me of that idea, that song, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is not an invitation to reject the world. It's an invitation not to be swayed by the world and distracted by the world. And when you have your eyes on Jesus, then you can operate in the world effectively instead of floundering around. So seek the Lord first. Number two, test the prophets, test the spirits. And I could put prophets in quotes if you want. Test who it is that's telling you these things. So Paul says, even if a prophet tells you that the Lord Jesus has already come, don't be alarmed by it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it until you hear it from a reliable source. These prophets aren't really prophets. They're false prophets. How do you know if someone's a false prophet? Well, we read one, does, did, did what they say come true? So we could apply that like this. Is what they're saying honest? Is it real? Is it true? And then, are they encouraging you to follow the Lord? So are you growing in bitterness or are you growing in grace from their message? Are you growing in, in anxiety or growing in peace from their message? It's not a foolproof, but it's one of the five, Okay. Because sometimes you'll get that wrong. Sometimes you don't know if someone's telling you the truth or not. Sometimes you can't know. That happens. Number three, follow the money or follow the motivation. Who benefits from this message? A political candidate? (laughs) Look, it doesn't matter who you're going to vote for. That person, whoever it is, you don't owe them anything. You don't owe them anything. You're not their surrogate. You you don't have to campaign for them. You can, but you don't have to. So when you see something or when you share something, stop. Who does this benefit? Might there be a bias here if it benefits someone? Does it benefit truth or does it benefit an agenda? And and there's two ways of saying things, too. You know, you could say, and, and I'm using this as an example. I don't even know if this is true. You could say, this, this vaccine that's coming out is going to be safe and you can take it and it'll help us get past this coronavirus pandemic. You can say that and it can be serving truth. Or you can give the exact same information. This vaccine will help you and the only reason you wouldn't take it is so that, you know, uh, to prove that Trump is da 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 and by the way, the da-da-da-da-da can either be before Trump, for Trump or against Trump. So it can go either way. It doesn't matter, right? The point is, there can be an agenda behind it or there can be a desire to serve truth. Same information. It's totally different. 
So seek the Lord first. Test the prophets. So test the people that are saying it and also test what they're saying. Is there an agenda? Is there a bias? Follow the money. Number four, do the work. Guys, I can't stress this enough. Christians should be more willing to do the hard work to determine if something's true than anyone else. Because for us, truth is more important than, than, all these, than all the political stuff. If your political candidate wins on a mountain of lies, that's not good for you, it's not good for the country, and it's not good for the kingdom of Christ. It just isn't. I shared in my previous sermon series, for a Christian, the, in, the ends never justify the means because for a Christian, the means are the ends. And what I meant when I said that was, if the end goal for us is to look like Jesus... That means having the character of Jesus. So the means are the ends. That's the goal for us. So do the work. Fact check. Don't just fact check. Context check. The facts might be true, but taken out of context, they'll lead you in a totally different conclusion. Right? So the fact is that at the time of writing, 655 people had gotten coronavirus at church. But taken out of context of 3.5 million cases at the time, that looks a little different. And again, 650 is bad. It's sad. But it doesn't support the conclusion, even though the facts are true. Do you see? So use the facts. Do the work. If you can't fact check something, don't share it. That could be a rule for every Christian. We'd be in a better place. Number five, use logic. So seek God first, test the prophets, follow the money, do the work, use logic, or be reasonable. Does this pass the smell test? (laughs) Is it likely that Hillary Clinton ran a child sex trafficking ring out of the basement of a pizza shop? I was reading about that story yesterday, and the guy who drove to that pizza shop with guns to get those children out of the basement, and there was no basement in the pizza shop. And the only kids there were the ones playing and eating pizza with their families. And now he's going to be in prison for four years. And what he said was, but I, I thought it was true. I was going to help people that I thought no one else was taken care of. And my heart breaks for this guy because he was sincere. And if it were my kid in that sex trafficking ring in the basement of the pizza shop, I would be glad that he went to save my kid. But it doesn't pass the smell test. It's just not true. And by the way, the people who made the claims that that was true should not be trusted because they lie. So use logic. <laughs> you know, in First Kings chapter 20, this prophet comes to a guy and he says, strike me with a weapon. And if you don't, you're going to be eaten by a lion. He didn't say that at first, but the guy's eaten by a lion. And then he goes and lies to the king. And then he condemns him to death because he didn't murder somebody else. And it was all from the Lord. How do you know? My goodness. The only way to make sense of this is that you know the voice of God. You've tested the prophets, and this prophet had been tested as true. You follow the money. You follow the agenda. This prophet's agenda was to carry the message of the Lord. He didn't have a personal agenda. You do the work. Maybe maybe instead of saying, no, I won't do it, maybe you stop and say, Lord, is this really from you? And then you say, well, why do you want me to hit you? Can you give me a little more information? Do the work. And then, well, use logic. This one's hard. This one's a hard one to apply. But, you know, it's going to be hard. That's why you need these different resources, these different approaches, these different methods. It's going to be hard. As I said, I still don't know how to make much sense of this story. But I do know this. Complex things are going to come your way, and you're going to have to make decisions about them. And the Lord will hold you accountable for how you respond to those complex situations. So we really have to do our best, church. And if you, you know, uh, Paul said... Uh, I mean, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy said, uh, if the prophets tell you to follow another God, the Lord is testing you to see if you'll follow him or not. 
the Lord does do this. But you know what? If you pass the test, right? If you focus on the truth, the outcome's gonna be gonna be so much better. You're gonna have a, a testimony that people can believe. You're gonna have more joy, peace, grace in your heart, love in your heart. And you're gonna be able to hold your head high and say, I've done my best to be someone who rightly handles not just the word of truth, but just truth. In the sight of God and the sight of men, I've done my best to rightly handle truth. And that's where the joy is on the other side of this. Let's pray. Lord God, we need your help. We need your help because this is hard stuff. And we need your help because